everyone, Eric Watson here, Freelance Writer, Player of Games, Writer of Words, Recorder Videos, and a Tabletop Roleplaying Aficionado. Welcome to the Monday edition of my bi-weekly behind-the-scenes DM-only livestream, Crafting the Deep, which I build right and prepare for our next session of Call from the Deep. If you are playing characters, and I do have characters now, uh, let's see who are characters. Gotwald, Mac, Savra, or Toral. This is not the right stream for you. But for the rest of you, welcome, of course, to me. Okay with spoilers. Stream our D&D sessions live on YouTube every Friday. You can join our official Discord server with invite link in the description below. If you'd like to support the channel, please check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. For our campaign, we use Roll20.net for streaming. I use OBS Studio. Hello, 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 all of you wonderful people. Um, we still have to figure out a plan with Ned, and then we have an official introduction we can concoct because we have done a session zero. So now I know who my players are, and we came up with a kind of preamble prologue in our session zero, which was the first time I'd ever done that in a campaign. I really wanted to um, have the players uh, come up with a, you know, a reason for adventuring and, and a, a way that they got together. I was really particularly impressed with uh, Raymond and how he really took the reins and kind of brought everything together and really started laying down some uh, interesting story beats and and I, I may have to run with the idea and this is really going to color a lot of their social interactions the fact that they are kind of outcasts and social misfits i mean they're this is such a non-human party such, so so aggressively non-human i would say that it would like it, it's the elephant in the room although none of them are actually playing a loxodon but it can't really be ignored in a lot of settings i mean like minotaurs lizard folk like these are all monstrous creatures in a lot of areas and situations they you know maybe would rarely um you know waltz into a town looking for work especially because adventurers tend to draw eyes anyway because they're walking in you know any social area looking like just i don't know super soldiers or something right they've just got all this gear and you know illegal contraband and just crazy equipment about them like in an, an air of like superiority and, and prowess and then you add that on to being such uh exotic creatures and races like it's got to be a thing so now i'm i'm starting to concoct an introduction so the intro from session zero hopefully you've all seen our session zero <laughs> or else a lot of what i'm talking about is going to be very confusing was that they met each other in neverwinter in a bar brawl um and they kind of found each other almost with you know a survival instinct in terms of like oh we're happy to be here at the same time we all look you know very different and out of place here um, so we need to band together for our own survival. And then they all received a mysterious letter from a mysterious benefactor, um, which was like just, I don't know where I got that, but I was like, this is something I can uh, delay to myself <laughs> down the line because anybody could be behind it. It's, it's fucking, it's great expectations is what I did. <laughs> you get a mysterious benefactor that only writes through letters and then it's going to be a great twist at some point. So they get sent to go do some kind of simple job that gets them to level two they're breaking up some kind of you know crime ring at the docks and then they get their other mission to go investigate this supposedly haunted house so now they officially have a mission to go check this house out so that helps my introduction quite a bit they will be arriving in salt marsh at the start of session one and then initially i was going to have them literally start at the haunted house kind of montage them past even dealing with the town of Saltmarsh, kind of making it like cutscene-y in a way. And I've also purposely decided to avoid using the actual 
map of salt marsh, which I could grab from uh, the Ghosts of Salt Marsh book. It's in fact the only damn thing in the book that has a nice color map to it. It's a town map that looks very similar to um, a Fandolin or something. It's a lovely map, but I don't. The problem is I don't want to give my players the wrong idea. As much as I like using um, visual aids for, you know, locations, so you don't have to look at the overland map the whole time. I just think if you're using a town, I don't. I don't. Know, I think there's expectations there that you're like, oh, well, now I've got locations in front of me. I can go around all these different locations and go, you know, check out this area and this area, and I don't know, go try to find some quests or something. And that's really not what. I wanted to do that was not my goal for salt marsh i wasn't actually going to use it as like a hub at all it was just going to be um the location that they need to go do this quest at so i think i'm going to actually not use that salt marsh map and instead just keep them on well, i guess the landing page in fact i could even avoid using this map here so that they don't because they don't really even necessarily need this one and Saltmarsh, by the way, in my campaign is obviously like kind of right here, just on the outskirts of Neverwinter, um, but still right on the coast. Uh, so I don't necessarily even have to show them this map. We could just use our landing page, and then I could um, just talk to them about traveling down to Saltmarsh and their arrival. But their arrival is going to be, like I said, they're going to like practically start a mob <laughs> uh, when they get there. But then I could have the um, the uh, who's the captain of the guard or something that's a loyalists faction uh let's see i think it's eliander eliander fireborn uh town the burly captain of the salt marsh town guard yeah so i was gonna have him show up and uh he's gonna be like you know what are y'all doing here right like he's gonna be kind of a small town um just hard-ass, <laughs> you know, cop, basically. And then the party can try to talk their way out of it or deal with it. I don't know. I, basically, I, I, I was reticent about throwing them into a social situation right off the bat, and yet I think we need to see... Um, I think we need to see this group dynamic a little bit and allow them to RP a bit before we just throw them into the Haunted House because the Haunted House has uh, really zero opportunity for RPing, at least for... Um, a good chunk of it. So I think having them actually show up to Salt Marsh, give them a chance to talk to some folks, probably get themselves in trouble a little bit. And the interesting thing is, it really doesn't matter what they do in Salt Marsh because they've already got the mission to go to the haunted house. So if anything, their their only thing is like, hey, which way to the haunted house? And then I can, you know, try to have lines of dialogue set up for if they have, you know, if they're smart, they'll have like follow up questions, right? They'll be like, hey, you know, we were sent to go check this out. Uh, they don't have any authority necessarily, so that might be, you know, not the best way to go about it. But at this point, the haunted house isn't—it's—it's uh, it's like several miles even outside of Salt Marsh, I believe. So, you know, they could hopefully get some inter information, or they could just, you know, investigate it from people or something. But um, and and they they should learn some stuff. In fact, I believe in uh, the sinister secrets. It mentions that there's like a random dude. Let's see. Uh, they might at your description find an aging poacher who after suitable inducement, money, ale, or both, confesses to having wandered in the back door of the house a couple of years before, hoping to acquire some food. 
He started to descend the stairs, heard ghastly shrieks and piercing wails, and ran, which is true, because that's the magic mouth triggering. Fighting about his wits, he knows where the back door is, and also noticed a nearby well. He can vaguely describe the kitchen, the scullery, and the passage that leads them to the to the back door. So he actually made it down to the cellar. So that's actually kind of a nice... And you could embellish him and make that kind of a fun uh, little scene as well. So he took this path. He went... I guess, actually, back door is way down here. Back door is in number four. So that means he would have walked... Is this the this is the back door, I would assume, because this is the front door. It's gotta be the front door, because they described the well and the gate at the front. Uh so the back door is this patio with Oh the back door's got a gate too, I just realized. I didn't actually put in Diamond Lenny for that. But this is the front door. This has to be the front door. Um so he came in area four and then would have gone into the entryway at one, but then he would have heard the screams on the trapped. Okay, I'm not sure his <laughs> I don't think his story is adding up. He had to have gone to the front door then, surely. Am I crazy? This is not... This is the... Do I have this whole thing backwards? No, because I looked at the numbers. The numbers were clearly one... Alright, let me look at the number for four. What does it say about four? I'm going to lose my mind all of a sudden. The door in the north wall leads onto a small patio. The paving cracked and overrun with weeds. Uh, Okay. So that's it. It is just a back door. Huh. Yeah, so I don't know why it said the guy went through the back door. He started to descend the stairs. I mean, I guess he could have gone through the back door. It just feels weird because it says if they're anywhere near this trap door, the shrieking starts, even if they don't find the trap door. So I feel like that's what he would have triggered. Whenever a creature comes within five feet of it. So to me, that's actually not even the square of the trap door. That's technically like any squares around it. What's cool is that is that if I do that right, the players might think that this door is actually the thing that's trapped and shrieking. Craft got hold some water wings. Yeah. <laughs> that poor dude. The only uh, PC without, like, some kind of racial or class water breathing abilities. I did see that, uh, was it Sylvan that made the joke in Discord about... Um, Somehow give him a Red Bull because it gives him wings or something. I fucking laughed at that. That was so funny. <laughs> the players to create bonds. Bonds as in like important things they care about. First game I DM'd at the party meeting. The ruins of an old house to get out of the rain. <laughs> I was surprised they went with the tavern thing. It's funny that I punted it to the players and they were like, yeah, we meet in a tavern. <laughs> I was like, all right, well, <laughs> at least you said it, not me. <laughs> Um, so I'll, I'll have Eliander be the captain of the guard. He will talk to them. I'll probably need to have a good cop, bad cop situation. So there should be an NPC that's not like a belligerent asshole. Uh, which I think there's a couple options. Um, Ada Owland, the senior member of the town council and the owner of three large fishing boats. She's a gruff, pragmatic woman whose graying hair is cut short and whose face bears the mark of a life lived outdoors. So she would just be kind of a, I don't know, very easy to talk to, probably wouldn't have much uh, racism in her because she would be seeing all kinds and uh, would be willing to deal with the PCs a little bit more friendlier. 
Uh, or you could always use... Who's the foppish guy? Uh, Gellin Primewater. A well-spoken, dapper, older gentleman with a neatly trimmed beard and a fancy wardrobe. Cunning instincts. He's definitely like a smuggler and a slaver, I think it said. Which is pretty fucked up. And yet it says, uh, loves to play the role of the foppish dandy. So you could have him be kind of the scheming, uh, manipulative guy. But all of this is just in service of how much the players want to stick around and RP before getting to the haunted house. And I don't necessarily want to make them do that too much. So it just depends on, yeah, I'm basically just going to have these NPCs written down with some kind of bare information on there, you know, the cliff notes version. And then I'll just depending on what the party want to do and how they want to investigate things and who they want to try to talk to or look up um, is how I can respond to that. Otherwise, if they feel like they just want the captain of the guard to point them in the direction of the haunted house and be like, hey, we're just going to go look at this. We'll get out of your hair. And he says, all right, it's over there. Go, go nuts. Thinking that, all right, well, you'll, you know, get yourselves killed or something. Then that can be that. They'll turn around and just go to the haunted house. So that's, again, why I don't probably want to actually use the town map so I don't need them to be uh, really expanding on it too much. Because, like most of you all, I probably want to get them to uh, the haunted house as quickly as I can. Uh, which the road does uh, lead... Hello, Matthew. Um, lead directly into this front door with the gate. I don't think there's any dynamic lighting here. There is not. Um... And the house overlooks the sea. I guess that's supposed to be here. So I wonder if I could even maybe color this as like all ocean. Because it's supposed to be, I get, I like the, there's a, there's a picture. So I think it's this picture actually. Uh, yeah, that makes it look really kind of creepy. It's like on a cliff uh, overlooking the water. So I thought that was really cool. I don't know if I can even turn the background. Let's see, backdrop color. Hopefully, it doesn't fuck things up too much. I don't know if I can get a good, just a dark sea color. I don't think it's gonna change anything though. Maybe board colors. What I'm looking for. Oh, that actually changes. Uh, yeah, that just changes that. It's possible the map itself is actually black then. So in that case, I'm not actually doing anything. So it's possible the artist actually put the the black on there. I'm not quite sure. Uh, but that can work. We can just say it's overlooking the water everywhere. And I'm going to give them free reign to explore. I mean, they can go in any window. I, I like the idea of... Hey, Logan. I like the idea of locking this front door just to give them an extra, like, hey, you got to make a, I don't know, strength check or block pick or bash a window open. You know, just one little... Not even a puzzle, but just a thing in the way that you're going to deal with. Um... The weasels are down here, tucked around. I think in the original map, they're actually... I think the garden even extends around the corner there. God, this map is so bare bones. Um, I think the weasels are supposed to be in this garden, actually, right next to the front house, versus necessarily around here, but I don't know. We'll play with that. If they end up like rooting around in the garden here, I may teleport the weasels over there. They're on the GM layer, anyway. I can stick them over there. Have them attack. Um, I mean, I think we already went over most of the haunted house in the last couple of weeks. I don't know if I need to uh, kind of go over everything again. I'm really not changing anything in terms of the loot or the monsters. There's a 
kind of a lot of empty rooms, but it's supposed to be by design. I'm kind of okay with that. Uh, just because there's still a lot of combat to be had once you get to the cellar. My one worry is I don't want the players to get to the cellar too quickly. So I think maybe the 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 one in area four is already trapped. So and they can't see these. These are on my um, the actual tracks I put on the map are only for me as a reminder. Uh, so they do have to make a check to actually see this trap door, and there's a whole screaming thing. So I think that's kind of a puzzle in of itself. Uh, the one I'm worried about is the fact that they could just immediately walk into uh, room 10 in the scullery and then just go down the stairs. They hear that shrieking sound. That could scare them, but I assume they're going to shrug and then go back down the stairs. Uh, in which case, I kind of want to Maybe put up a roadblock when it comes to... And they're, they do another roadblock, I guess, with the dead body here, which is also a good, like, oh, shit, where are we then? Uh, but making this fireplace, which I did move it to the fireplace, not the wall. I, I kind of picture it as a cool, like, rotating fireplace, secret door. Uh, maybe making that kind of another locked thing, so they have to find a... I don't know, a lever somewhere. I guess it makes sense to be the lever would be in this room, though, wouldn't it? if it'd be somewhere else but at least they'd have to look for something the other thing is of course ned which i still really haven't decided on what to do with ned because ned's story doesn't make any sense to me um as written i appreciate that they try to throw this duplicitous npc in here i think that's interesting but his actual motivation and who he works for and stuff and the and the timing with the players arriving and his uh, relationship to the rest of the bandits in here. None of that I can really work my way around. So I'm almost tempted to just remove Ned altogether, which I know would probably be disappointing uh, for a lot of folks. Uh, and I, I do like the fact that he has uh, some RP potential, which, again, would otherwise be quite lacking in this entire dungeon. None of the, even the bandits and stuff are uh, willing to just chat with him. I did for a hot second think, what if Ned actually is undead? The undead Ned. Um, you could say, well, maybe he really was an adventurer who was partnered with this uh, individual here who's just dead on the floor. And maybe maybe the bandits in here, um, I don't, you know, for some reason Ned turned undead and they shoved him in a door and locked the door. And thus, maybe that's where a good source of the creepiness is coming from, is there's this undead. Now, you can't turn him into a revenant or something because a revenant would have been able to... Uh, I, the, the problem is he'd have to be something like a zombie... God, even then he would have fallen through the things, though. See, I'm just creating more problems. Like, what kind of undead would he have turned into that he would have been trapped in a room where you can easily fall through the floor and be untrapped? <laughs> it doesn't... Yeah, that doesn't really make any sense. Unless they did... Uh... How maybe his leg got shattered or something. So it's like a it's like a Walking Dead scenario where you like open the door and there's a the noise you're hearing is a zombie the whole time, but maybe the zombie's like trapped, so it's like undead Ned is trapped in the thing. Of course, then you're doing the same thing as almost eliminating him in terms of RP purposes. You're really you know the only thing he's doing at that point is scaring the players. Like he's doing his one scare by making noise up there and maybe occasionally making like scratching noises or something. So the players are like, oh shit, there's something creepy in the house. But if you make him just an undead monster, obviously there's no RP potential in there. You open it up and you just see him in there. 
but it could paint the more horror picture of having because there's already a dead body here in the wine cellar. The I, I'm sorry to disappoint you guys. The giant weasel is not <laughs> when Raymond talks to them. Does he have speak with animals? I didn't even check that. I don't think a little two ranger can do that, can he? Yeah, he doesn't have that one. <laughs> oh my god, that's me in Baldur's Gate three though. I'm playing the druid with always got speak with animals on. Especially because I like to just wander around in V-shape all the time, for those of you watching our our uh, co-op Let's Play. And I can't actually talk to anybody except animals. I'm just pointing because you've spent so much time obsessing over them. Yeah. Well, I'm obsessing over I just can't make it work. And fail stealth check on the upstairs creaky floor. Lover, some form of key, is in or on the body. A Pope's Exorcist. Ah, that is a little spoiler. I'm probably not going to watch that, if I'm being honest. A bound spirit. Is that a more interesting undead? Yeah, I guess you could always make it like a more ghostly thing rather than just kind of a mindless fleshy thing. So a ghost would still be able to talk to the players. But that might be giving too much information. I'd search for undead, but that's like the biggest freaking category. <laughs> it would take me literally forever. And again, that's just if I want to... I just, I just can't come up with a logical reason why there would be a dude upstairs who has had enough time to get up there and make it look like he was, you know, captured or stuck in there or something, but yet also hasn't, like, warned the other bandits. And then who is he working for? Is he just working for somebody in town, which I already said I'm not using much of the Salt Marsh stuff. You know, I'm not really using the Scarlet Brotherhood or any of that. I've got them, I've got the Kraken Society. I've got the Black Armada. I could go crazy and say, okay, well, there's a member of the Kraken Society here, and he's like a fucking deep scion or something. But I think I'm giving it away way too early by doing that. Um, maybe I mean he could just be a Kraken Society cultist. But that but that still runs into the same problem. Is like, why is he up there? Is is he part of this gang? I don't know, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Uh, he had Zephyr Strike and Hunter's Mark, I believe, when I pulled it up a second ago. And Ned's whole goal is to make, is A, make the house spooky by doing things to it, and B, betray the party at some point. So that they never trust an NPC, even though my party would already basically not trust a lot of NPCs, I feel like. <laughs> They're never particularly kind towards most NPCs, let's be honest. Yeah, I, I think, I like that idea, John. Um, yeah, potential rival D&D group. It's a scout for another group that was going to take the job to clear the house. Um, so at that, we still have to work on his backstory, though. So in that case, we're saying he's not part of the, the bandit faction. Maybe he's against them. Um... But then how much does he know? Like, does if, if they got attacked, if he's injured at all, then he would have been attacked by the, the smugglers, in which case he knows he's not going to try to trick the players into thinking that the house is haunted or something. Unless he's really kind of stupidly evil and saying, oh, well, even though you're here to rescue me, I'm still going to make you think the house is haunted to get you out of here because this job is still lucrative for me, uh, even though I'm pretty sure the rest of my party is killed. <laughs> this is dangerous and I should be rescued. He was getting high. Yeah, the other thing is, 
he is part of this group, even though he's very challenging as a spy. He's, he's stronger than all the others. I may cut his hit points up. When I rolled for his hit points, they were ridiculously high. Um, and yeah, he just he just wandered up there and maybe accidentally locked the door or something. And he, maybe he's only been up there for a couple hours or something. He just like passed out. And that's the only way the timing works to me. Is like he's just up there, um, and at some point when they're arriving, he hears voice. Well, yeah, he can hear voices, and Snow knows nothing. And then just he's trying to fuck up the players while while also trying to warn the smugglers, I guess. So that could work too. That's probably the only logical thing I can think of is he's just another member of this crew, even though that would put them at 11, which they only have 10 beds here, but whatever. <laughs> and he just got separated from the others. Or his job is to be the lookout, but if he's the lookout, then he's pretty fucking bad at it. Uh, which, like you said, he got high or drunk or something and he fell asleep while the players were approaching, so he was not able to actually... He got a bad batch of genocider. Uh, he was not able to perform his lookout duties... Because of his, because he was inebriated. Sounds like his performance review. <laughs> his evaluation. That's probably what I'm going to go to at this point. I don't, I don't see anything else that's going to particularly work. Um, I mean, the adventure angle is cool, but I still kind of like him trying to fight. Yeah, I think he's got too many hit points, though. 39. To be another member of the crew. Average is 27. We're going to put him at 30. I'm actually going to take him down to 30. Still an above-average spy. Um, so in that case, he's not tied up. Um, in that case, the door is not locked either? Or he maybe he went back and locked the door? Yeah, I guess he could still... Okay, so so the backstory in that case is... he was the He's the lookout. He's looking out the window, even though actually room 14 is the main lookout window, but whatever reason, area 15 for whatever reason. Um, and he's supposed to look out for intruders and stuff. There's always somebody on duty, just so they can be aware. If anybody's coming near the house, they can start setting things up, I guess. But he fell asleep at the wheel, and now the party's, like, already in the house. Hopefully they make some noise. They break a window or something that would wake him up. And then once he starts realizing, maybe he listens for a second and realizes it, um, then he formulates a plan to trick them. And the one thing, maybe if the players roll inside, they can smell like a lot of alcohol on his breath or something. Because that part's real. He thinks the other smugglers are not real. That's that's the only thing that makes sense to me. And that's still a very convoluted backstory. But maybe it'll work. Uh, so I think we've already talked a good chunk about everything else. Um, and like I said, the introduction hopefully will still be pretty smooth, but I'll just, I'll, I'll mention a few of the NPCs if needed for Saltmarsh. Um, and we will include a little bit of a social scene there so they can ask some questions about the house because there is information they can learn. Um, which is a lot of the information from, uh, this poacher character, which I can use this or I can use one of the NPCs that does it. Shrieks in there. They there's like lights, which are the the lights of the the lanterns they use. You know, some good rumors they can learn about everything. Uh, the fact that it was the the home, and, and you could really see the haunted the horror aspect of it, which is it used to be 
uh, home to an old like wizard or alchemist and he was already kind of creepy and obsessive and that kind of thing so definitely give them that information because uh, that uh, further helps seed the idea that it's a creepy haunted house when in fact it's just a bunch full of a bunch of critters and stupid traps until they get to the bottom part um then once they take out San Belay, I think I'm gonna go with San Belay rather than San Ballot. Maybe he's got a really bad French accent or something. San Belay. They'll learn the information about the sea ghost. Um, I'll probably put the timing like it'll come uh, the next evening or something. Enough to, enough to give them a, a chance to long rest. The only. Yeah. I guess even if they do go to the authorities, which they might, then I'll have the authorities. Then I may have that town council, if they haven't talked to her yet, actually turn it over to them and be like, all right, well, thank you for bringing this to our attention. Um, you all cleared this out. You've got the, actually the best chance at maybe doing something about it. Basically, just punt it back to the players to like take care of business here. Um, so hopefully they'll get the idea of like, oh, yeah, we should take care of this. But... Also encourage them the fact that the ship, um, you know, big ships like that aren't going to come in and dock. They're always going to take, you know, they'll they'll have to dock at the town. And this uh, ship that is that they reference maybe here would has doesn't come into the town proper. So that hopefully I can get a clue that uh, the ship itself never comes into, you know, there's no dock at the at this uh, house or these caves. It's just little dinghy that they take out and ship stuff back and forth. So with all the information they'll gather, hopefully they can figure out that their goal will be after a long rest, but not a level up because they'll already be level two. It will be to get to the sea ghost, which we need to start working on. Cause this is the final part of sinister secret of salt marsh and involves the players basically getting a chance to do a pretty cool, like, heist on a ship which i would love for them to get off if they can hopefully they can play their cards right i think that is a really cool potential uh it mentions that they can you know arrive to the ship get on even a certain side of it they'll avoid being seen and this is where you could really use gotwald's experience on ships and and um defer to how much he knows even though he would be the worst stealth person available um, he would know a good general information about how ships work, and maybe we approach from this side instead of that side. So that part's going to be cool, having somebody who's um, specifically has the background uh, to know these kind of things versus having to uh, give that information via an NPC or something. The characters approach silently from the port side without using light sources. They will be totally unobserved. Smugglers are on deck watching the coast from the starboard side and do not see or hear intruders. We don't give themselves away. I believe port is left and starboard is right if you are facing the front of the ship. I have very limited ship knowledge, <laughs> but I think that's correct. So they're pulling up this way, I guess. Thus, whether the alarm is raised or not depends on a number of factors from which direction the boat approaches the ship, whether the watchers on the ship are alerted to possible danger, whether the characters have taken all precautions to conceal their approach. This is like fucking cool Navy SEAL shit, I feel like. Just approaching a boat at night under some kind of stealth circumstances. 
uh, it just sounds really cool uh, from an adventure standpoint and a D&D standpoint. Uh, you know, the play, and some of the players get a chance to show off maybe their, their swimming skills, underwater skills, and all that. So I'm, I'm excited. I really want to encourage, and hopefully we can make it happen, where they can at least get to the ship and, and make it be like a heist thing. Because they know they're going to have this the element of surprise, kind of, like to where they know like there's bad guys on the ship, we need to take it out, and we're going to approach it. But they don't know anything about the ship's like layout or the kind of uh, foes they're going to face and all that. So it's a really interesting balance here. It's like it, they are getting kind of the ambush off, but there's, it's still very much exploration. Obviously, it's a unique location because it's a fucking ship. <laughs> I still need to put all the tokens and lighting on here too. But uh, I obviously don't plan on, make, on them getting to the ship uh, you know, in the next week or two. I think we'll see how quickly they make it through the house. There's a crow's nest 40 feet above the main deck with a bandit uh, on there. I'm not sure if that's even represented on this map necessarily. Probably not, but that's something to remember. Uh, so can I just drag... Let's see, is it this one? Oh, shit, I put it on the light layer. Don't do that. You're a light source now. Uh, is this the one that's multi-sided? I think so. Excellent. I love the super multi-sided tokens. Fantastic. Yeah, that's cool shit. Make all these some cool looking dudes. Uh, was the deck below. Choose anchor, more ascensions distracted. It sends speed all these. By the previous characters, choose on someone climbs the rope ladder of the ring. Okay. Uh, if the characters make a direct approach, they can try to bluff their way aboard once they've been detected. I don't know, man. This is something that's going to screw them up as being such monstrous races. I, it's going to be real hard to say like, yeah, we're we're the new smugglers. Like, oh, what? They might say they are new recruits to the smuggling gang. Unaccustomed to codes and thus made a mistake with the signaling or something of a similar nature. On the other hand, it's always really fun when the players try to do this kind of thing. Oh, the characters make a DC 14 deception check. They lead to the point where the first three characters get aboard by means of a rope lighter lowered for them. Once the characters protect the entire crew attempts to repel the characters to the utmost vigor while getting their vessel underway. Perception checks that rely on hearing are made with disadvantage on the ship because of the sound of the waves and sea. That's something, if I want to enforce that, that would be the case for a lot of this campaign. I feel like only if it's actually like rough, if you're in like a storm or something, would it really fuck up your perception. I, well, I, I'll say that if you if the ship is moving, it would fuck up your perception. If the ship is still, I don't think it would fuck up your perception. And it's supposed to be still here. The hull of the ship provides many handholds for climbing. is also very slippery. Yeah, that is true. Climbing the hull without a rope or the device requires a successful DC-14 athletics check. Crew of the Seago, aside from Captain Sigurd's Snake Eyes, which, fun fact, our current Patreon D&D game uh, used Captain Sigurd, uh, which I didn't realize at the time, but now I do, obviously, as an Easter egg reference to this campaign, uh, this classic module. Just kind of a random uh, NPC captain. 
consists of the following members. It's a pirate captain, a pirate first mate, Bloody Bjorn, a pirate bosun, Foul Frithoff, Punkata, a pirate deck wizard, seven crew members, and three lizard folk bandits. I do like that it has a, a variety of stat blocks. Uh, one thing I hate is if it's just like, yeah, there's seven bandits here, and that's it. Like, well, this is going to be boring. <laughs> I guess I'll auto-attack with everybody. Uh, although a lot of these pirates probably only have auto-attacks. Also, but we've got some things. A pirate captain has shape up ye dog. Twice per day, whenever a friend of the creature within 30 feet of the captain misses with an attack, the captain can yell perilous threats to allow that creature to re-roll the attack roll. Okay. That's funny. Uh, pirate first mate, just a stronger bandit, I guess. Has some real AC, though. And multi-attack with a longsword. And can choose to disarm targets. Okay. Drop one item is holding on the ground. What's our rule for picking up an item, then? I feel like that would have to be a, a something to have to, to want to disarm people. Pirate wiz... Uh, sorry, pirate bosun. Just attacks with a hammer. More hit points, less AC. As a hook, though, that's pretty cool. Target is grappled. Uh, this is very useful, though. Sea legs. Resist being knocked prone. That asshole Minotaur is going to try to knock everybody prone. And then a Pirate Deck Wizard, which is a fourth level spellcaster. Wow, friends, mage hand, precipitation, ray of frost, disguise self, fog cloud, mage armor. Almost assume they've always got up anyway, so just 15 AC. Witch bolt. Gust of wind would be pretty hilarious on a boat. Knocking people off the into the water. That would be probably my go-to, although you're more than likely as a as one of the enemies gonna hit one of your friendlies. Most acid arrow and misty step. Okay. Well, they didn't just throw fire spells at him, which I respect, because it wouldn't make much sense for a a wizard who spends all his time on a ship to have fire spells. <laughs> and yet yeah, is actually very limited on offense. I guess Melf's acid arrow. Ray of Frost is your best move. I, I, I think Witch Bolt still kind of sucks, doesn't it? Obviously, Misty Step is fantastic. So that's a good amount of enemies on the ship. Position of the crew aboard ship depends on two possible scenarios. So either they're alerted or not alerted, I guess. The correct signal. If the characters send a correct signal, the crew is relaxed. Two bandits await the characters in Area 1. The rest of the crew can be found in their respective quarters. Area 8 for the deck wizard, Area 9 for the captain, Area 13 for the first mate, Area 14 for the bows, and the remaining five bandits occupy Area 10. Or, basically, they're on... Uh, high alert. Yes, obviously the gust of wind was to make the sails go faster. But if they're in combat, I imagine the gust of wind is very useful for uh, docking people overboard. Which is what I would use it for. Spoken area safety don't help defend the ship unless they're directly threatened by the actions of the characters. I wonder if I need to change um, the lizard folk uh, in my campaign. It might make more sense for there to be some Swagan here. Because the Swagan are actually the ones 
who are going to be uh, part of the attacking force on Neverwinter. And the Lizardfolk are actually going to be basically allies and good guys in my campaign. Although that turns out to be not, well, not really the case here, but kind of the case where it's the Swagon of the Ultimate Enemy. Um, yeah, what's the, like, CR-wise, what's the difference here? Lizardfolk are CR one-half, and there's a Swagon. Just a regular garden variety shark man. This doesn't actually really look like a shark man. This looks like a fish man. Same CR. Alright, that might be an easy switcheroo then. It's the right stat block, right? Monster manual. There's a Swagon Baron. Ghost of Salt Marsh added a champion and blade master. Pretty cool. Coral Smasher and Deep Diver. Hatchling Swarm and High Priest. There's a lot of Swagon stat blocks. And Ghost of Salt Marsh and Wave Shaper. Wow. You might even say there's a whole Swagon dungeon. Yeah, so I think I'm going to replace uh, the Lizard of Folk with these guys, and that would be kind of creepy. Is And that would be a, a creepy tease. It's like, wait a minute, why are these Sawagan working with these guys? But interestingly, you could also keep it the same where it says they do not help defend the ship unless they're directly threatened by the actual character. Well, no, I'd change that. They would they would be allied then. So I guess that's the difference is the ones here, I might, might be making it uh, a little harder. Uh, would not actually, like, they would fight to the death. They're in it to win it. If the ship's captain, first mate, bosun, and deck wizard are all killed or have fled, and if the characters outnumber the surviving crew and those are foe combined, they offer to surrender the ship to the characters. Yeah, except I don't think the Swagad would surrender. But that is good to know. They could surrender. Alright, so I think that's a pretty easy... Change to make. We'll place lizard folk with the swag in there, and I would assume I want to. I want them to be in their relaxed state at least in the beginning, and then as things get more agitated, I can move them around as needed. So we've got. Uh, let's see. I need to come up with. Do these guys all have their own tokens? Kind of. It's just kind of picking different ones out of that. Multi-sided token, which is fine. That that kind of works. Um, in fact, we'll just keep Bandit as the dwarf-looking guys. All right, so there's a Bandit on the top, so I'll put you there, I guess. Uh, two Bandits await the characters in Area 1, which is here on the upper deck, so... Two bandits here. So they're actually going to be on the token layer. Dresser roof under there. Area 8 for the deck wizard. So they're all just in their own little house, I guess. Which is advantageous if you can start the fight without anybody knowing, then they all have to kind of scramble to get in their positions. I'm just going to go ahead and give this guy 15. AC, and they're just, you gotta assume they've got mage armor on. Name you, I guess. Oh, 
see. Uh, area 9 for the captain. She's right there. He's the old man. It's a captain art. Shoot. Captain Sigurd. Snake eyes. Now, here's another good question. We know that Gotwald... Uh... He's got history with a pirate captain. I. It's up to me which one I want to use. There's a lot of pirate captain options in this campaign. In fact, I believe at one point in like an appendix or something. Uh, they give me tables of pirates to use. Ah, thought it was in here. Oh, where would that be? It, it's in Call from the Deep, but they give you... Some options. Maybe, random, maybe it's in Random Encounters. So, I mean, I, I could use Captain Sigurd Snake Eyes, but that feels like I'm doing it too early the end of the first mission they go on it's like oh shit there's your captain of your backstory and then and then once it's resolved it's like that's kind of his whole thing is resolved right so it feels um a little too early to be doing that but maybe he you know what i'd love to do is be able to use somebody that like from the you know not necessarily like the main captain who's the villain but like somebody who knows and maybe maybe captain sigurd was one of like the first mate of that crew or something. So he wasn't like the main captain that got Walt is a big problem with, but he like later became a captain. Um, but there, maybe he still knows him or something. DPCs in the water. Uh, pirate ship is just a skill challenge. I thought there was a, a list of different pirates. Mm, there's a little bit of the list. Uh, counters an NPC or group there for the chance for roleplay, gaining allies, making enemies, getting information. A Niyogi. That's kind of weird. Uh, travelers. Yeah, okay. I can't find that section then. Maybe it's in the first chapter. I'd have to go back to the PDF and check. I, there's a section somewhere that, that shows you a bunch of, like, literally sample pirates and crew. Or is it in Ghosts of Salt? I thought it was in... It's not in Ghosts of Salt. I think it's in Call from the Deep. They give you a bunch of just, like, sample uh, pirate ships with, uh, like, sample crews and stuff. I don't know. can't remember. Yeah, the first step to find the actual pirate captain. I think I think that'd be a cool. Like maybe he he knows like somebody on the ship, or maybe like I said, the captain. Um, you know, this captain wasn't a captain back then, but was one of the. Uh, I don't know, just some history there. I think would be kind of cool. Or maybe it wasn't even the captain. You could you could take like the bosun or something. This foul Frithoff. <laughs> uh, maybe that's the one that he knows. Maybe he doesn't have to know every uh, pirate captain necessarily. 
Uh, and then I don't know what his, you know, if I want to make that a separate arc where like he finally learns, you know, somewhere in chapter three of Call from the Deep, which would be middle of act two for us, uh, that he learns like where this captain is and like where to hunt him down and turn that into kind of Gottwald's little personal mission, maybe. So knife the captain, area 13 for the first mate. Scroll back down for that. That was the bloody Bjorn. First mate hangs out here. These are good pirate names, I think. And area 14 for the bosun. No, that can't be right. 14? 14, I thought that's where the sea elf is being held. Maybe I've got my numbers crossed. Yeah, that doesn't make much sense that I'm looking at here. Oh, maybe he's interrogating the sea elf or something. Put him in 12 for now. Foul Frithoff. Meaning five bandits occupy area 10. Uh, which is here, like a mess hall type thing. Oh, I don't know why I'm putting on the GM layer. All these guys should be on the token layer, I guess. One, two, three. Yeah, I have them have map fragments. Uh, rules bring up an object. They can just pick up the... I was about to disarm. It's a free interaction, but it provokes an attack opportunity. Oh, that's interesting. They can use their action to pick it up. Ah, that's actually a really good rule. I like that. Especially uh, rules that give players choices like that are kind of interesting. Uh, so is that, yeah, five, six, seven bandits. Oh, there's really eight, right? Because it says there's one in the crow's nest. Uh, and then one of those, and then the three. So lizard folk are in area seven, so I guess that'd be the swagon for me. You know, they've got like a table with hammocks there. <laughs> I'm sure we can make that happen. Now swagon... I think are in Call from the Deep, although they probably have uh, different art. Or maybe no art. There they go. Yeah, that's fine. And that would be a big question for the players, too. Is like, well, wait a minute, why are the... Why are Sawagan, which are like murderous fish people, working with these bandits? That would be a good tease that something's going on, too. Burning or holding the sea ghost. Oh, hopefully it doesn't come to that. I'm giving my players a ship, damn it. Length of 90 feet, beam of 26 feet, draft of 8 feet, stands 90 feet with the water line on top of its main deck. Wow, they give you all the information. The jelly boat is lashed upside down on the main deck. Looks like it's actually right side up on this map. <laughs> Normal doors are 6 feet high, 4 feet wide, and stout wood construction. All are typically shot but unlocked. Stairways leading down from areas 1 to areas 12 and 13. So let's see, this is area 1. It's a confusing map because they're showing the different elevations. So 2 and 3. What is that? The brow and the stern? I'm trying to remember all my stupid nautical terms. Uh, are both elevated compared to the main deck. Right? And that's why it's kind of darkened right here. It just it doesn't there's not a great way of doing that on a top-down BTT, I guess. Because then when you get to the actual lower portion here, 
which means these stairs don't go into this room. These stairs actually go up here, I assume. And there's actually doors that go in here. And then there's stairs in these rooms that then go down to the lower rooms. Everything down from area one to level areas 12 and 13. Wait, there's stairs going from one to 12 to 13? I don't think so. I thought stairs went from, oh, so these stairs are not in this room. Maybe I'm reading this map wrong then. Cause there's stairs there. Okay, stairway from area one to area 10. Okay. It's likewise enclosed in wood partitions and sealed off from area six. Okay. I'm gonna have to really pay attention to this when I do the actual dynamic lighting. Huh. Yeah, I'm gonna have to figure out like where the actual doors are and how this goes, because this is gonna be an important map to use for sure. I assume they're not going to, hopefully they're not going to want to just try to start poking in the holes and burning that ship down, but try to actually, you know, commandeer it and take it out and earn yourselves a ship. Because that is going to be the goal. I do appreciate they give you a lot of the different measurements, though. <laughs> also, if I just read the room descriptions, that should hopefully clear up some things. Right now it says the main deck. All right, so what I did is I put everybody on the map if, they're, if they had no concerns whatsoever. And then I think it said, if the characters did not send the proper signal, the crew members are in the position described in the text below. So what they're going to describe to me is like the alerted version, which is the first mate and a crew member in, number, in area one. So the first mate comes out. And the forecastle, also known as the forecastle, has a single bandit. Uh, poop deck as a bandit, the deck wizard. Boy, yeah, so that's that actually might be more interesting rather than having like one person in each room. It might be more interesting to have people stationed up a little bit, and they should be alerted anyway. They shouldn't be, even if the signal's right, you'd think they'd be a little bit alert because they're stopping into a kind of a dangerous situation. So maybe I should put them actually according to this. So that would actually put the captain here, which would be a little tricky, I guess, they have to immediately deal with that. And the deck wizard, bandit, oh no, sorry, he's on the poop deck, so he's up here. This would be like that, along with the deck wizard. I mean, that, that would be a good boss fight right there. And another crew member. Okay, so just two bandits. <laughs> Yeah, so that puts those four together in that room. And then Bloody Bjorn, which was this one, I think. It's actually on the main deck of the bandit. So those two would be there. I think I like that better. And then there's a bandit up here. And then four is unoccupied, five is unoccupied, six, seven's gonna have the Sawagan in there. Don't know, I probably won't include the pseudo dragon then because that wouldn't make much sense. Trapped stuff, captain's cabin, it's got some trapped treasure. 
the cargo hold, which is 11, then has everybody in the cargo hold actually hanging out. So you four there, and you're there. Okay. So everybody's kind of out and about doing something. That makes more sense. Yeah, then there's a captured sea elf, which will probably be a triton, and I'll probably have references to uh, Gillian. And that could be an NPC that can join the player's crew and would hopefully be able to tease more information. The player should be able to find some information here that will tease them to go to Gunderland, and then the uh, captured sea elf will be able to relay them more information. But yeah, this could be just one big-ass multi-level fight, which is probably what it's going to end up being. But, you know, if the players end up doing some kind of crazy distraction, which I'm sure they will, then things will change from there, and I'm always excited to see how that works. But uh, thankfully, we'll have a few more weeks, I think, of figuring out how to run the Sea Ghost. Cause, but it, it's good. We want to be ahead of things. I always want to be a little bit ahead <laughs> going into uh, all the D&D sessions. All right, I think that is going to do it for this Monday edition of Crafting the Deep. If you enjoyed the content, please do check out patreon.com slash roguewatson. Shouts to Platinum Patrons, Joe, Will, Thomas, Stan, Brendan, Xenocider, David, Eclectic, Roleplay, Role, Christopher, Brian, Corey, Coa1337, Big Nut, John F., John L., Scott, Eric, Tyler, Nathan, Camp Crystal Lake Counselor, Andrew C., Daryl, The Reldrin, Captain Woody 79 Jaren, Argia, Stephanie, Andrew H., P0113-5809, and Patrick. And gold patrons, RPG Papercrafts, Pretty Boy, and Yuma, Dead Lizard, Lounge, Sam, Lucas Buds, Jerome, Nathan, Fasica, Torres, Scott, Refus, Cran, William, Jerry, Thomas, Prophet. Thank you all very much for your support. See you all for another Crafting the Deep on Thursday. Hopefully I have pictures by then, too. I'm getting it close. <laughs>